Hello and welcome to Lightmap by Sifter. My name is Gianni and my co-host on this episode is Adam. Adam, thanks for joining me. Hello, hello. On Lightmap, we explore what it takes to make video games and interactive media and you meet creative teams from all around the world. You'll meet developers, artists, musicians, researchers and more. Our guest on Lightmap this time is Ben Esposito, who's the game director of Neon White, a speedrunning shooter set in the afterlife. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to talk about it. Yeah, before we get into the interview, let's find out what's been making the news this week in Walkthrough. Hi, I'm Kyle Paletto. And I'm Gianni DiGiovanni. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 5th of May. Escape from Tarkov developers relent, allowing access to PvE mode for players who bought an all-DLC bundle, but not before saying... Sorry, you're mad. Solo developed Manor Lords and Indie City Builder break sales and Steam records. Take-Two shuts down studios behind Kerbal Space Program and Oli Oli World. And we wrap all the cool things announced at ID at Xbox. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. Australia's best video game podcast. This is Lightmap. Get every episode free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and sifter.com.au. So, Neon White. Um, when it was revealed in a gameplay walkthrough which you narrated, you described it as a game for freaks. And I'm wondering, who are those freaks? <laughs> Um, so the freaks can take many forms. Uh, I, I kind of now looking back on it, I kind of regret saying freaks because it might feel like people, if you're not enough of a freak, you can't play the game. The game is designed to be really accessible. Um, so it's not like you have to be a speed running freak to play this game, but the real freak is like the person who appreciates kind of like the, underloved weird underappreciated media that the game uh kind of is meant to celebrate and so the it's more about an aesthetic freak (laughs) yeah and and those aesthetics are there's there's so many of them here i i mean i was trying to write down what i thought they might be and you know part of it was like mid 2000s internet i had vaporwave written down i had raven club culture had anime and then i even had like limited edition cd run prints from japan that you would pick up from like your favorite band like a friend would go to japan and find like here's the my bloody valentine cd but it's a japanese only version and it's got this weird cover art all of that seems to be in this um i even get city pop like what are some of those influences that you've you've drawn on yeah like really broadly like the game is inspired by the y2k era of you know video games and beyond So like we wanted to make a game that kind of had that vibe of a cult hit from, you know, maybe it was an import game that you played from that era. So, you know, around the time of 1999, you had the Dreamcast coming out. Um, This game is kind of inspired by the aesthetic and attitude uh, surrounding the Dreamcast. Uh, but yeah, more broadly, there's also a lot of musical influences and then the aesthetics that come from that music kind of makes its way inside as well. And so that's where you get the kind of like, yeah, import CD uh, aesthetic for like, I mean, even our album art for the soundtrack is like kind of inspired by that stuff. So yeah, it's really probably like a Y2K inspired game that's about being cool. (laughs) 
Yeah, crazy taxi was weirdly something that went to my head <laughs> while I was playing this. Um, now that we know what the ingredients are, talk us through a little bit how it plays and and what it's like to be in the world of Neon White. So it's an unusual game because it's a mashup of a bunch of different types of games all in one. So it's really like about having these two kind of alternating sides on one hand. And this is kind of like the main appeal is that it's a speed running first person platformer. And the idea is that every level super short. It's like under a minute. Some levels are, you know, could be 10 seconds or so. And it's all about you kind of like at first you're playing through the level to survive. And then as you replay the level, you start to learn more and more about the systems and about what resources are available in the map. And you start to like kind of go through the process of solving the puzzle of how do I play this level faster and faster. So the tool we use to do that is there are these things called soul cards. And the twist on the, the normal formula is essentially that every weapon can also be sacrificed in order to do a special like movement ability. So really the game's about managing the resources in the level to kind of solve this optimization puzzle. Like how do I finish this even faster? Um, So that's like the first half. And then the second half is that there's a a story told in a visual novel style. So it's kind of like uh, inspired by games like Persona or, you know, Danganronpa is a good uh, example of, you kind of tonally similar as well. Um, but the idea is that you're assassins in heaven. You're kind of pitted against each other uh, to, you know, win a spot to live in heaven, you know, for the next year. Um, I'm not the sort of person who really chases scores. I've never been interested in fast times and things like that, but I felt like you really incentivized um, getting through this. And I just could not move on until I got an ace in every single level. Um what were some of the parts of uh, in the design that you were trying to capture to get people like me to feel that way when they were playing this game? The whole structure of the design is really 100% to take you from I'm just a normal game player to I'm a speed freak. Uh, like that's the entire pipeline that we we're trying to create. So that's why we kind of like we committed to this idea of like you're going you might not want to play this level again, but we're going to create a situation where you actually really enjoy it. Um, so that was like, that was our, our goal from the start. And the way we did it was really like, we made them super short. Uh, we made it so that they were very constrained. So there's never a time when you feel like, oh, there's way too much for me to do. And then we also have the system of as you replay the levels, you kind of unlock more information that makes it a little easier for you to understand how to optimize the route, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there's like a element of frictionless when I think about learning a level in Neon White where... Um, you know, load times are really fast. So you take away that barrier of like waiting to restart. And then because of the speed of the level, it feels like no time has really been lost. If I make a mistake, I'm back there within five to 10 seconds. So like the irritation of having to restart, which would traditionally kind of take me away from wanting to do multiple runs and perfect a, a perfect score is gone. And how long did it take you to kind of nail that feeling of like, there is no friction here if I have to start again? That was there from the start. That's what the whole game was built on. So like the story that I kind of tell about this game is that, you know, I was going to, I had a prototype and I was going to cancel it because it was no fun at all. It was this card game where you'd be dealt random cards and uh, you'd have to like adapt to the situation. And I like almost threw it out because it was no fun. But then at the last second I changed it. So you'd 
um, be put into a level with a finite amount of cards that were in specific places. And so I sent it to a friend of mine and he played it and then sent me a list of his best times for every level. And I was like, huh, I could beat that. And so we started trading times back and forth and we had these like, I had just started the game. So it was like three second to 10 second levels. And, you know, from the very, 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 very beginning, we had this idea of like trading high scores needs to have super short levels. And, you know, that's like the core experience. I'm going to use a horrible productivity term now. Um, So apologies in advance. Um, When I was playing this game, I was thinking of the idea of flow states. Uh, quite a lot which is you know a term used for when you go into sort of like deep thinking or kind of automatic um, kind of deep learning like maybe you're playing an instrument and you kind of just get lost in the moment to moment I also think of it in a gameplay sense and I guess in gameplay I tend to think the most of like people who play like high level Tetris where it's so fast you can't tell what's happening shapes are just flying down left and right and I was kind of thinking about my own experiences with Neon White where you kind of get to a point where the pattern recognition of level design and the cards starts clicking in your head that you can start like acing or golding levels the first time you're through them by the pure like rush of being in the moment. And I'm, I'm wondering, was that something that you were trying to tap after a while? Did you find like yourself going into a state or playing this game where everything felt like reaction based and really satisfying? Yeah, that's, that is a great question because that's kind of the foundation of the way we built the levels. So, And it also kind of speaks to like one of our really high-level goals of making sure that everything is super clear. No matter what, wherever you are, you know where to go next. You know what the challenge is. like You know what's being asked of you and you know what resources you have. So that comes kind of comes down to the art style, but also the level design is built such that like the game is always suggesting what to do next to you. And so, when, like you said, once you start to get into that flow state, you'll be able to read our like language of like, oh, this part probably wants me to go and do this. And that's like meant to get you into a flow state, but it's also kind of a trick too, because when you want a speed run, you kind of have to go against what we showed you you should do. I'm curious, as part of your iterating process, did you have anything that people just did not read correctly? Any examples where they looked at it and just made the same mistake again and again and again? Uh, We had lots of different card abilities while we were developing this game that were really, really clever on paper, but they were terrible to play. (laughs) No one enjoyed. Um, So, like, for example, I don't think I've told anyone this. Originally, there's, like, a shotgun there's talking in the game where you just kind of become a fireball and boost forward. Uh, originally, that card pushed you backwards. So if you wanted to go somewhere with it, you had to turn around and shoot it, and then you'd fly in reverse. And it didn't test well. <laughs> so there's like lots of stuff where it's like, oh, that would be really cool. You'd feel cool if you could pull it off. But it was always fighting the like level of clarity. So we kept simplifying them and simplifying them and simplifying them. So they're all like very, very easy to wrap your head around. It's funny that you bring that up. Um, Cause like the idea of being able to slingshot myself backwards sounds really appealing. And I've, I've already started watching some people who are trying to speed run the game by using those momentum abilities and then just swiveling their camera as fast as they can to sort of like turn around and shoot things in the distance. Cause everything's projectile based. You can like shoot from really far away. Um, so that's been kind of really interesting to see. But yes, I'm 
I think in theory that power sounds great. In practice, probably a bit of a nightmare. I'm curious, <laughs> yeah. when you were designing the language for these levels, um, what were some of the challenges you came up with a bit? Um, how, how long did it take you to kind of work out what those different like symbols would be in a level that would kind of coax people one way or another way? It took a lot of internal fighting. So we have a bunch of different level designers. You know, we had Ames, Justin, Carter, and Russell. Uh, kind of like we're there all throughout different stages of development. And most of our like internal kind of uh, discussions were about like how much to signpost because certain things felt like way too much. And so we'd fight against them. So if you got into mission eight in the level in the in the game, there's like a blue try uh blue rectangle in every place we want you to like shoot your grappling hook and they don't do anything the blue things don't do anything in the game they have no meaning in the lore of the game at all and so we were like we don't want to add these but suggesting where people would put where would put a zip line seemed to like actually work more and more and more so the game is actually full of these results of us kind of fighting against putting in really gamey things but eventually like we 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 settled on like let's tell let's telegraph everything extremely clearly no matter what so that was kind of the hardest thing about building these levels it's been really interesting to watch people play it um and finding out especially when you go to the leaderboards that some people have got like ridiculously small times that you're just like come on this is supposed to be a glitchless run how do you feel about people who uh, speedrunners who literally trying to find the the quickest way through your levels, just getting there without you know the intention behind what this this game is supposed to be. I love watching people speedrun it. I don't like people cheating, of course. Um, those are like people who are hacking the leaderboards. That's like not really fun for anyone. But people who are like going really, 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 really deep, I think they're just enjoying the game in a different way than everyone else and so you know part of what we want to do is just support both sides of it and so like the game is really actually built for beginners but the fact that we can support these kind of like super high level plays um, and we've included a bunch of like mechanics that are hidden throughout the game that you can kind of use to go super fast so like we we enjoy seeing people kind of like break it to its absolute limit because it still looks cool when you watch someone play um, do you know what the canonical world record for the game to complete it? I'm just thinking like this is probably going to have uh, a showing at things like games done done quick down the track. But do you know do you know where people are sitting to to actually finish the whole thing? Last so there is like once you beat the game, there's a mode that allows you to play every level back to back without any of the like story stuff. And last I checked, the record for that was something like 48 minutes for every main quest level main quest level in the game. So, I have a feeling that will go down a lot, but it's a pretty nice juicy number. Let's talk a little bit about the story because there is that aspect laid on top of it as well. Um, for me when I was looking at it and I, I uh, you know, I recommended it as soon as I saw the first trailer, I'm like my friend who is big into Tumblr, live journal scene, all of that sort of stuff at, and around those early um 2000s sort of uh, anime and things like that it just ticked a lot of those boxes you've got voices like spike spiegel steve bloom um, as you know people doing the thing um tell me about building that story and that lore out for this game that people are literally blasting through as quickly as they possibly can <laughs> so the the point of having that story element is really to like introduce 
a pacing element to the whole experience because it's a game that like if you fully commit to the speedrunning, it's very taxing. <laughs> like I cannot play at, at a super high level without like wanting to take a break really fast. And that's something that's a problem I've had with other games of the genre before. So that was really one of the important things to us was like we want to introduce something that will like slow down the pace, but still feel like it gives you more reasons to get invested in the world of the game. And that's why we ended up putting a story in it all. But the other reason was because it kind of, we had this idea for the aesthetic, this like Y2K aesthetic where, you know, we aren't trying to merge the gameplay and the story that much. Like we're not going out of our way to make sure it feels like super integrated. So that was like, we wanted a story and, you know, we had this idea of <laughs> you're in heaven, your assassin's in heaven. And it's like we we started with a what would be the coolest thing, and then we worked backwards from like why does that even exist in the in the first place? Um, so it was like kind of a fun it was a fun journey to kind of figure out like okay how can we make this absurd scenario work? Yeah, I have I have to wonder if like there's a bit of parody going on uh, when, I, when I play this game. Like Neon Violet is a character that for me just reads like parody from the start, like. <laughs> Just like a, a critique of maybe like hypersexualized characters in, in, in anime <laughs> and games during that kind of era of what I like to call like attitude era. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, like, so I think something that some people kind of pick up on and others really, 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 really dislike about the game is that we wanted to, you know, make characters that were really lovable and really fun and entertaining, but also like we didn't want to subvert your expectations too much like what we wanted to do was create like the ideal like versions of the archetypes of these characters that you're kind of familiar with and so violet is like our perfect example of the like cute but psycho uh you know like bunny girl <laughs> and you know red is like this like older like distant femme fatale character and it's like we wanted to explore that without kind of like putting in the obvious like oh but actually it's you know they're they're really sad and depressed like we didn't we wanted to we thought it would actually be really fresh to just approach it from like let's do something like classic because we actually don't see really good examples of these archetypes even though they seem so familiar people are real horny for the characters in this game how does that make you feel Great. Mission success. <laughs> um, there's a bit of homoeroticism going on in this game as well. Uh, it's hard not to read between the lines uh, with neon yellow and neon white. <laughs> How did that come about? I mean, this, is, this game at its core is kind of like trying to satisfy very disconnected groups of people at the same time. And so I think, you know, you have the fact that there's a story and an action game but you also have like the story has different ways of enjoying it. And so we wanted to have this like bisexual energy <laughs> in the game as well. So it's like there's actually kind of something for everyone, depending on, you know, how you how you want to interact with it. Very, very uh, uh, early 2000s uh, cruel intentions energy. there with the. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, yes. Which I really appreciate. Um I guess another big element stylistically in this game is the music. Um, and you enlisted Machine Girl to work on the soundtrack with you. Um, the music for this game is kind of a bit of a triumph. It's definitely one of the things that stands out the most for me um, outside of the incredible gameplay. Um, 
and you know it's it's kind of got this sort of club rave energy about it it's i can hear the dreamcast inspiration there and i noticed that on tiktok you said that you both wanted it to sound a little bit like sega cd sonic cd but worse um tell me a little bit about that how did the soundtrack come about how did you envision it and are you happy with the final product okay so i gotta explain my tiktok is all sarcastic jokes but uh I don't know if you know the context for the Sonic CD thing, though. Do you? Is this the Michael Jackson stuff, or is that Sonic 3? Um, that's Sonic 3, but this... Okay, so just really briefly, uh, Machine Girl, before this game came out, Machine Girl like started to become a topic of discourse on TikTok because one of their songs became really, really popular uh, on the platform. But only this one little clip of the song that was completely built around a sample from Sonic CD... And so there was a ton of discourse because these people were finding Machine Girl and then they were like, wow, I love Machine Girl, but they hadn't listened to the rest of the song, which is like all screaming and, and digital hardcore. So like there was like this huge fiasco, everyone was mad at each other. And so that's kind of, I was kind of just playing with the, with the, uh, the, the vibes there. But yeah, I always wanted that kind of like, Japanese Y2K sound that you were getting from like Ridge Racer and like Ape Escape and like the kind of like super sample based stuff like Jet Set Radio. Um, so I had this kind of idea of like, okay, I want these, I want these break beats, I want these samples. Um, and you know, I made a short list of who I'd want to do the music. And the list was literally just Machine Girl was at the top. Because in 2020, they released this like EP called Repurposed Fantasies. And I was, I was, I had been listening to it and I was like, this has this like feel of a video game soundtrack where it's like very familiar and kind of, you know, like nostalgic, but it also has a lot of unique uh, mashup elements to it. And so I was like, why don't I just send an email? And I did send a random email and they were like, oh my God. No one asked me to do this. I always wanted to make a game soundtrack and we just we just did it from there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such an interesting mix of different genres. You've kind of got the breakbeat, the kind of drummer bass, the real clubby ravey sounds that take me to like Warp Records and Ninja Tune. And then you've got, as you've described as well, digital hardcore. Like I think of Atari, Teenage Riot and bands like that and Machine, Machine Girls, other music as well, kind of seeping in there. And then you've also got like just a straight up kind of anime rock soundtrack song for the intro music. Um, I guess this is a case of like that genre soup colliding again, right? Yeah, like part of what we wanted to do was like embrace the fun, like weird disconnects that these things have. So like we want to celebrate the like fact that a lot of anime openings have like weird, weirdly like metal music. Uh, <laughs> and so when I was talking to Machine Girl about it, I was like, no, I want you to make something that sounds that that doesn't sound like you. And they were like, okay, I guess I'll try it. Um, I'm just curious, like, what was the process like of that music? Did you basically let them run loose? Uh, or was it more a back and forth sort of process when they were making the soundtrack? The process was um, a little maybe different than other situations where we did it in a few different, like, steps. We, we met, like, you know, every few months we would do a bunch more. But initially they sent over a huge library of unfinished music and said, do any of these work? And it was like 50 tracks. 
And I like started going through all of them and, you know, figuring out what might work. And by the end of it, you know, we kind of ended up with tracks, half the soundtrack built off of those unfinished tracks. And then the other half was like stuff we composed specifically for moments in the game. So it was a lot of kind of shaping, shaping music into the right format, but also like I maybe gave him too much freedom in a lot of cases, uh, but he did an amazing job there. So, um, I'm really curious, what does the future of uh, Neon White look like? Uh, people are really enjoying it. Is it something you want to expand on? Are there any plans to you know, have other journeys uh, through this world? It's still early and we don't have any concrete plans for anything. Um, people want to tell me what they want. I'm all ears, but yeah, no, nothing's planned right now. It's, it's that the game itself is like a one shot and it kind of has a story that has a beginning and an end, but it's something we like, we really love the world of that game. So it's something we're certainly interested in. One question I did want to ask, um, there was a, a, an accidental inclusion of uh, a slur in this game. You quickly responded to it and got, took it out of the game. It was, uh, um, and I'm just wondering what it was like to sort of get that feedback and and your process around um you know responding to community concerns yeah i mean it was pretty simple like some people voiced some concerns that there was like a word that was offensive to certain groups of people um you know we reviewed the scene we looked at it and we were like okay this you know that was not the intention of this joke you know the joke we thought was pretty clear what it was trying to do and you know it was like an onomatopoeia um, so, you know, we, we reviewed it and we were like, you know what, it doesn't hurt us to change it at all. And it's not hard for us to change it. And, you know, there's people who would appreciate it. And so, you know, we're not going to really make a public statement about it. We're just going to change it and, you know, everyone's happy. <laughs> um, it does sound like everyone is happy about it. most of the things that have come out of this game. I'm just wondering, what is the bit that you are? happiest about when you think about this game this is the piece that i am most proud of trying to come up with something funny but really it's like really it's just the fact that we threaded the needle you know like on paper this game really shouldn't work it doesn't make any sense why would you combine these things and you know we just decided we were going to be fully confident in our stupid ideas and we were going to make it anyway and so, you know, <laughs> the whole time we're building this game, we're like, yeah, this is going to be a seven out of 10, totally a seven out of 10 game, but we're going to wear it really proudly. Um, and then, yeah, the reviews came out and people were like, oh, I get what you were going for here. You were committing to this particular you know, aesthetic and you didn't try to please everyone. And so the fact that that was communicated is like such an honor. <laughs> um, are there any secrets buried in the game that people haven't discovered yet? Uh, th- there's an Enya reference <laughs> that nobody found. <laughs> there's also a big Enya reference in Donut County, although two people have found that. The game is called Neon White. Uh, it's made uh, by Ben Esposito, who joined us on this episode at Angel Matrix. You can find out more information by heading to neonwhite.rip.rip uh, online. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure um, to, to pick your brain and uh, you know step into the world of Neon White with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Sifter uh, is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Fiona Bartholomew, Daniel Ang, Adam Christo, who was my co-host on this episode. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Uh, Mitch Lowe is our senior producer. And my name is Gianni DiGiovanni, and I'm the executive producer. Thanks to Omni Studio for their support of Sifter's three podcasts. You can find links to everything we've talked about. We're gonna, I'm definitely going to put a link to the soundtrack in because if you should just spend some time listening to that back to back, it's like 
you know, powerful music to study too is what I would say. Um, you can find links to that on our website, which is sifter.com.au. Read more about the games and the guests that we've featured. And we've got a community as well. So if you enjoyed this, you can share your creativity, the games that you're making, other things that you're doing, what you've been playing, screenshots that you've been taking. We have a Discord server. You can visit sifter.com.au forward slash Discord to get there. That's sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. And you can share this show with your friends, pass it out to people that you know, talk about it on the side of the street if you want to do that. It's one of the free things that you can do to help support us. Word of mouth is really important to indie podcasts. So let your friends know if you reckon they'll enjoy it as well. Send them a link or maybe even review and uh, give us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast app. That's all for now. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, have fun. Chris Button here from Drop Rate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Unicorn Overlord might have a strange name, but don't dismiss its tactical prowess. It uses a, a tactics mode, um, and which is similar to the Gambit system that was in Final Fantasy XII for your um, uh, your squad mates. And you can say, okay, well, you know, Hodrick, who's my legionnaire with the big shield, I want him to prioritize protecting the back row. They're going to take the most damage. If they take a physical hit, they're going to go down, but I need them to be protected. So you can get quite granular with this, and I reckon you can build some pretty wild builds that are <laughs> totally game-breaking, um, but it's kind of the fun of the tactical squad-based gameplay in Unicorn Overlord. Tune in to Drop Rate to find out why Unicorn Overlord might just be one of 2024's sleeper hits. Available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.